views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, October 6th, and on behalf of the Eye on the Triangle team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. Today is the Raleigh City Council and mayoral election. I hope you had a chance to vote. This year's election is being drawn on party lines, not Democrat or Republican, but continuing the downtown party noise or shutting it down. Mirtha Donastarg has this story. We also have a review of the film Brief Interviews with Hideous Men by Jake Winters. The film was directed by John Krasinski, the actor Jim Halper in The Office. And Nick Weaver reviews the New Waves album, V. As always, Saif Hassan has the news beyond the headlines, and Peter Svizzini brings us the community calendar. Zach Medford is a small business owner. For almost 10 years, he has been building up three bars from the bottom up. But he says new rules restricting bars and restaurants' sidewalk seating is hurting his business. These patio restrictions has scared a lot of people off from coming downtown. I don't know if those people will be back. This summer, the city council started looking at rules to reduce downtown noise, starting with the sidewalks. Residents say noise is making downtown unlivable. Heather lives on Glenwood Avenue, one of the busiest areas in downtown. Everything here revolves around alcohol, and then people drink too much, and then people are loud and obnoxious and make a mess. The city council passed rules closing sidewalks to bars and restaurants at midnight most days, 1 a.m. Friday and Saturday. Medford and his group Keep Raleigh Vibrant are working to elect counselors who will repeal the rules. But another group of citizens doesn't think that's a good idea saying that downtown Raleigh is turning into a dorm room, which Medford says might not actually be a bad thing. You know what happens in those dorm rooms? It's not, it's not people drinking and throwing up. It's people studying. It's people drinking coffee. It's friendships being made. It's futures being created. As for the future of sidewalk seating, it all depends on the election. In Raleigh, I'm Mirtha Donastorg. <laughs> Hello, this is Jake Winters with Eye on the Triangle with your weekly movie review. This week will be a review of the movie Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Brief Interviews with Hideous Men is a movie that can easily make people question how they view relationships. Not only does it pose the question of what is the correct or most normal relationship, but it does so in a way that the audience cannot fully understand until the very last scene of the movie. One of the best things about Brief Interviews is that it isn't afraid to tackle the hard questions. What is love? How can I show love to someone else? What is a good relationship? How does rape affect people? Can rape, even though it is a horrible and unimaginable act to say the least, positively affect a person's life? 
These questions are posed by the movie. They are tough, but is what makes this film interesting and provokes thought. Brief Interviews with Hideous Men is based on the collection of short stories that goes by the same name by the author David Foster Wallace. There is also a theater adaptation that came out in 2000. The film is the third version of these short stories and is released in 2009. All of these adaptations are slightly different from each other in their own ways. There are other short stories within the collection of short stories by David Foster Wallace, and the theater mainly focuses on just the interview portion of these stories. The film also does this, but it adds in this personal element with the main character. The film was directed by the actor and now director John Krasinski, who is most notable for his role as Jim in the TV show The Office. Krasinski also plays one of the roles in the film. For being the first film that he directed, it's hard to tell. The movie paces itself well and overall does have a sense of style, which means the director has done his general job. When considering if a director has done a good job with a movie, a good way to think about it is to think of them as the author of the movie. The director's job is to take all the pieces that come together during the production and make them into one coherent story and thought. Because the movie focuses so largely on relationships, the factor of whether you are a male or a female can largely affect how you feel about this movie. I can't really speak to how a female would feel about the film personally, but I can say from the subject matter presented that the personal experience of having lived as a female is something that could drastically change how you perceive this film and its ideas. The main character is female, but the author of the original story and the director, John Krasinski, are both male. Honestly, this is probably for the best, as it makes it so the author must stop to consider what he thought that a woman would have been thinking in these situations. The original story never focused on the interview of the hideous men, but the story is centered on her in the movie. This choice gives the interviews a personal sway to them, as with how these interviews are affecting our main character. One of the main questions that the audience can infer is asked of the men is what a woman wants. This parallels essentially what the main character is attempting to figure out, what the men want. So it's sort of ironic that she's asking this of other people throughout the whole film. The main plot of the film is driven by questions. The most obvious representation of this is with the interviews. It becomes very obvious early on in the film that the interviews are meant to be an internal sort of narrative that the main character is having with herself. It becomes apparent when she interviews someone who we later find out to be one of her personal friends. The main character goes into these interviews all the time. They are a representation of how she analyzes someone else's ideas or actions. The use of these aside-like interviews is clever. It creates an interesting medium in which the audience is allowed to understand how the main character thinks. How people place judgment on others is very indicative of not only how they view them, but also what kind of things they are questioning about themselves. By utilizing this idea, we're able to see how our character is feeling. It is possible that this method of presenting thought gives us a more accurate representation of our character's internal conflict than direct narration ever would. One of my favorite features of the film is the commentators present throughout. They sound as though they are radio hosts, discussing the subject matter of the film and questioning its ideals. It is even possible that the conversation was from some podcast, as it seems as though the audio has been overlaid onto the film. This commentary is another creative way in which the director inserts his ideas on the question of what do women want. I really enjoy these sections of the film, and it seems very much like a relaxed conversation between two friends, much like a radio show does. It serves to reel in the outlandish aspects that are within the film. Brief Interviews with Hideous Men is a movie to watch if you want to think. It asks questions and doesn't give direct answers. It is hard to say while watching whether it supports a feminist cause or it is trying to view the exact opposite point of view, the point of view of what do men want. 
I can't say that this movie is my favorite movie, but I really did come to like it by the end. It is easy to find some view in the film to disagree with, which is what may put many people off of it. I think the movie that provokes question about how society functions is great. They start conversations that go beyond the movie screen and lead to even more enriching conversation. That is the thing that I like most about this movie, and I hope you will go on to enjoy it as well. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Movie Review. Feel free to send any suggestions or comments to the radio's email. I'm always glad to receive feedback or opinions. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. Have a good night. Hey everyone, welcome back to my review segment, which still doesn't have a name. I keep forgetting to come up with one. Anyways, today's album is V by Waves. Now, if you know me, you might know that I am a huge Waves fan. Though I've only listened to King of the Beach, The Life Sucks EP, and Afraid of Heights, I really love their stuff. I've been a fan since probably sometime back in 2012, 2013. Ever since then, I've been on the lookout for a new album by them. So when I heard that V was coming out, I was incredibly excited. Side note, 2015 has been the year of music for me. This, Ratatat's Magnifique, the new Caravan Palace album, new Modest Mouse album, new Radiohead, and new Strokes sometime next year. But yeah, this album had me on the edge of my seat in anticipation. So the question is, does it hold up? Good question. First, we're going to talk about Waves and some of the info surrounding this album. Now to start off, this album marks Waves' fifth studio album, discounting their collab with Cloud Nothings, which I'm yet to experience. Their first two albums were what you'd call extreme lo-fi, basically garage rock distorted almost beyond being music. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that's how I saw both of those albums. I'll admit, like I said before, I didn't listen to those all the way through, but to get the general feel of the albums, you really only need to hear about two and a half tracks. They were just insane amounts of static and noise. To their credit, this is what put Waves on the map. This sort of extreme lo-fi helped to define the genre and garnered the attention of the folks down at Pitchfork Media, who gave this album V a 6.5 and catapulted Nathan Williams and Waves into the spotlight. After their second album, Waves with three Vs, Williams picked up Stephen Pope and from there started making the rest of what we know today as Waves. Their first real studio effort was King of the Beach. This album was way cleaner than their first two albums, though it still had the general feel of the tracks underlying the distortion. This is where I jumped on the Waves boat. A few years after that, they dropped the even cleaner yet much different album Afraid of Heights. Where King of the Beach was a carefree stoner surf rock anthem, Afraid of Heights explored more down-to-earth themes of depression and breakups. They were both surf rock to the core, but Afraid of Heights was slower and had more emotional backing. Somewhere along the way, they contributed the song Nine is God to the GTA 5 Los Santos Boulevard station where you probably first heard them. In fact, both Stephen Pope and Nathan Williams are the DJs for Los Santos Boulevard Radio. So, you know... That's a fact. Finally, after some fighting between Nathan Williams and the record label Warner Music Bros, we get V, a few years after Afraid of Heights. This album drops after the breakup of Williams, who, if you haven't guessed by now, is the singer-slash-songwriter of Waves, and Bethany Cosantino, the lead singer-slash-songwriter of Best Coast. Which is sad, because I really liked their relationship, but I digress. The band has matured a lot now. Williams is further into writing about more down-to-earth things. What of the album, then? The first thing I noticed is that the whole album is themed around this breakup. Every single song has themes of depression and post-breakup anxiety. It goes through all of the stages, minus joy and acceptance, throughout the album. To me, this actually seems like a welcome change. Previously, Williams' lyrics lacked a certain poignancy. They've gained that and more, but in the process have taken a weird turn. Where Afraid of Heights saw slower, more ballad-like songs about loss and sadness, this album ditches all of those. 
V features a constant driving beat, which is sadly the same on almost every song. It's not too noticeable, but I would have loved a bit of variation, which is really lacking here. In fact, that's my number one complaint with this album. There's very little variation at all. Anyways, the ballads are gone. That's established. You know what? Good. I really hated those anyways. They bogged the album down with crappy teen angst and it was getting old. But here's the thing. The lyrics are just as sad. The delivery has changed. Every song has a cheerful if bitter delivery. It's uncanny, like a smiling drunk coming at you, getting more drunk with every step. Eventually he'll either pass out or stop smiling. Maybe both. And here's where the strength of the album is. Even with this strange new touch, which I find personally fantastic, the delivery of each song is still well impassioned and believable. I can hear the emotion in William's voice, and it's great. It really is. Something that the other albums just didn't have, and now it's here. And speaking of the past albums, which I will not stop doing, the charming guitar riffs and catchy, infectious choruses are still here. From what I can tell, V really hasn't lost anything at all from the previous albums. It's only sidestepped in a slightly different direction, toning down again the distortion. At this point, Waves has stopped being lo-fi and has become a pop-punk band, which honestly isn't that bad. I'm perfectly fine with that. Those first two albums, despite their response, were not that good. V? V is good. Maybe it's not an artistic masterpiece. No, it's definitely not an artistic masterpiece. But that is more than okay. I wasn't listening to Waves to hear Radiohead anyways. I have Radiohead for that. V solidifies Waves' surf rock, riff-heavy, alcoholic, breakup-having style, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Maybe some of the magic from King of the Beach is missing, but give it time. V will grow on you. As much as it is a deviation, V is a return to form. I look forward to seeing where waves will go from here. They're not at the top of the mountain, but they're that much closer. Before I close out the review, I'll talk about the singles. I'm not 100% certain these are all of them. I couldn't find the list online, but I'm pretty sure. Anyways, the first single is way too much. This song is classic waves, and probably the closest song to something from King of the Beach on this album. Very catchy, very good. Next single is Flamazessa, which is probably the best song on the album, objectively, even if no one can pronounce the name. It's spelled F-L-A-M-E-Z-E-S-Z, which is interesting to say the least. Anyways, the quality of production is at an all-time high, and the use of ambience and background vocals has never been better. This song is a clear evolution in style, and a welcome one. I'm fairly certain that's all of the singles, but if I'm wrong, just go listen to the whole album. You won't regret it. That about does it for this review. You can find this album wherever you find music these days, as well as on Waves' YouTube channel. That's Waves with two Vs. You can tell Vs are kind of their thing. Sorry for not talking about the individual tracks much this time. This album was kind of one big piece. Also, you know, this is a 10-minute segment and all. This has been a review by Nick Weaver with Eye on the Triangle. I'll be back again next week with something else. And a name, hopefully. We'll see. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. The Hong Kong Football Association has been fined 40,000 Hong Kong dollars, that's 5,160 U.S. dollars, by FIFA after its fans booed the Chinese national anthem during a match last month. An object was also thrown onto the pitch during the World Cup qualifier against Qatar. FIFA, football's governing body, previously warned the HKFA over booing. The anthem has been shared by Hong Kong and mainland China since the former returned to Beijing's control in 1997. Anti-Beijing feeling has increased in Hong Kong in the wake of large protests last year against central government plans to impose candidate lists for elections in the territory. 
Mr. Brian Lung, the chairman of HKFA, said, We will promote the message of not booing on all our media channels and will not punish the fans who threw the object, as we do not know who did it. A statement by the HKFA said FIFA had warned it that any further infringements will lead to more severe actions, and that statement asked fans to refrain from such action at all future matches to avoid additional punishment. The association previously said it would be disappointed if FIFA had punished them for the September 8th booing, which it later blamed on a small minority of the fans. Hong Kong's next international match is against Myanmar, also known as Burma, on November 7th, followed by a home game against mainland China on November 17th. This is likely to be of particular concern to organizers given the tensions involved. Guatemalan officials have declared a neighborhood which was buried in a mudslide uninhabitable. More than 160 people died when the mudslide tore through the homes in Santa Carina Pinula on Thursday. Emergency workers are still excavating the area but have given up hope of finding any survivors. It is not yet clear what will happen to the survivors and whether the state will offer them help to relocate to safer ground. Guatemala's National Disaster Reduction Commission, Conrad, says it had warned as early as 2009 that the neighborhood of El Cambre II, which lies 10 miles east of Guatemala City, was at risk. The middle-class neighborhood was built at the bottom of a steep hillside next to a river. Conrad said its most recent warning came in November 2014 when it alerted local authorities to the fact that the river was eroding the base of the hill, making the hillside very unstable. However, residents said they had not been made aware of these risks. A spokesperson for the local authorities in El Cambre II said what had happened was a natural disaster, like an earthquake or a volcanic eruption, which can't be foreseen. He also said that residents had been told of the Conrad report, but had decided to stay put for a variety of reasons. Heavy rains had soaked the earth, causing it to come crashing down on the houses below late on Thursday when most residents were asleep. 161 people have been confirmed dead, and 3,000 more are still missing. Another 230 people are staying in shelters. President Alejandro Maldonado on Monday declared three days of national mourning. He also said that he was determined to find all those buried under the mud. We're not going to stop until we finish the job. However, conditions at the site of the landslide worsened on Monday. Conrad officials said that they had detected cracks in the hilltop through which water was seeping, heightening the risk of further mudslides. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. Good evening to you listeners out there. My name is Peter Swazeni, and I will be reporting to you the community calendar for this upcoming week. So this week is special. It's fall break. So that means all of us students here at NC State will be frantically completing homework and exams this Tuesday or Wednesday. But that means no class Thursday or Friday. And just to let you all know, there's still a handful of things going on around campus and the Raleigh-Durham area. For those of you traveling out of town, I can't help you too much with the community calendar, but for those of you staying around the Raleigh area, I got you covered for this upcoming week. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into this week's schedule. On October 7th, the Betaversity team will be filming a new series in partnership with the Sci-Fi channel called Real Geniuses. Entrepreneurs and innovators from the Triangle will be creating projects and prototypes in the Beta Box, Betaversity's mobile prototyping lab, and they need people to come out and support them as they try to solve real-world problems with design thinking and rapid prototyping. To create excitement for the show, they need a big crowd to come out and support the Beta Diversity and the entrepreneurs. 
They will provide food, entertainment, swag, opportunities, and more. Invite friends, family, coworkers, and anyone who wants to be a part of this unique opportunity. The Beta Box television show will be going on from 9 to 6 on Centennial Campus this Wednesday. The Farmer's Market will also be held this Wednesday from 11.30 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. I think it's a great way to support local farmers and really just help nourish and support that direct farmer-to-consumer interaction and help educate students and the public around. On Monday, there will be a Future of Food seminar series uncommon ground. You can hear Dr. Peter Kalanis, Newsome Distinguished Professor and Director of the Global Research Institute at UNC Chapel Hill. He will speak on the uncommon ground, surveying the principal challenges, controversies, and conundrums in food and agriculture today. That will be next Monday from 3.30 to 4.30, located in Park Shops, Room 210. So that's all the events I have on campus for this week. So let me turn your attention to what's going on around the Raleigh-Durham area. This Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m., the Contemporary Art Museum, Cam Raleigh, will be having their Big Bent Ears record-playing event. This week's event will be featuring Jeb Bishop. They'll be having their record-listening party in their KISSA, the Downstairs Media Lab. So go ahead and please visit their website for more information about their Big Bent Ears record-playing event series. Contemporary Art Museum is located at 409 West Martin Street, downtown Raleigh. Um, now, some other things I noticed going on around uh, Raleigh were a few cool shows coming up. I saw that there was uh, the Electric Six will be performing along with Yip Deceiver and Octopus Jones at King's this Thursday at 930. Uh, Southern Culture on the Skids along with Dune Dogs will be performing at the Poor House this Saturday at 9 p.m. Red Fang will be playing at King's next Tuesday at 8 p.m. And you can go ahead and check out the ticket prices at each of these venues. So those are all the events I have for this upcoming week. Like I had mentioned earlier, it is fall break. So go and enjoy your two days off of class, NC State students. Um, so admittedly, I'm a little short on events occurring around campus this week. If you didn't hear your campus scheduled event... It's not that I thought it was boring, it's that I didn't know about it, and we should change that. You could go ahead and submit your events with a short 90 to 120 word description at publicaffairs at wknc.org. Any additional promotion never hurts. And this will conclude the community calendar. My name is Peter Swazeni, and I'm wishing you a great week ahead. That's all we have for you this evening. I'd like to thank Mirtha Donastork, Nick Weaver, Jake Winters, and Peter Svizeni for contributing. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know and tweet us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. Also be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. After Hours with L. Dubbins News is up next at 8, and you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice.